You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Starting a family is no longer as simple as meeting a partner and falling in love. I'm not sure if fertility challenges are becoming more common or just more spoken about, but it certainly feels as though both are true. While stories about fertility challenges are becoming more common, no two are the same. In today's episode, I sit down with Kim and Gus from Umbiera Station, four hours south of Alice Springs. Fertility challenges don't discriminate, and I don't think it's as black and white as saying that someone's journey is easier or harder than anyone else's. They all have their unique aspects. For Kim and Gus, their remote location meant that they ended up travelling in excess of 40,000 kilometres to conceive their first two children. To start our conversation, I asked them to take me back to the very start of their journey trying to start a family. So quite, we took our time. We, we took a good, oh, we were married. 2012, so. 2012, and then. Six years. Yeah, so we. I had to make sure she wasn't dodgy or skeletons in the cupboard. <laughs> I know you learn a lot about We did pick her up at the time. pub the first time around, so. <laughs> um, yeah, so we took our time. We enjoyed our time managing the station for Angus's father and stepmother, Mari and Thomas, and so we had a lot of time on the station together, which um, we really enjoyed doing all the cattle work and managing the business here before we decided to sort of get married and settle down. So I'm kind of grateful that we got to do that over that time. And, yeah, so six years we got married in 2012 and then that was the time to start thinking about a family and enjoying that side of life out here as well. So you would have been 25-ish at the time and Angus 28. So when did you first start to realise that there was a problem there and that you weren't, able to start your family as you'd hoped. Yeah. It took us a good nine months. I remember thinking, you know, once we're married, you know, we'll have kids easy straight away, but it proved to be a bit harder than we thought. And after maybe 12 months, we thought, shit, this is really not happening as quick as we thought it was going to. Yeah. It wasn't from lack of trying either. So (laughs) (laughs) The look on Kim's face right now is priceless. (laughs) So did you know back then, I guess, because I wonder, I mean, um, you know, learning about sex ed in school is like a million years ago at this point in time, but were you aware that you had to try at a certain time of the month and that you had a small window? And Because I just feel like growing up it was like, oh, if you, you know, make sure you use a condom or you'll get pregnant. Like yeah. I wasn't until much later. I was like, oh, there's a very small window it can happen yeah. in. Yeah, um, I guess we figured all that out um, when we were looking into having a family and um, it wasn't um, until it took quite a long time for us to – um, have our first child or well, 12 months into it that we thought, well, we better start looking into getting some sort of help because we don't know what we're doing and um, it just wasn't working for us so we needed to get that expert advice to... We went and seen GPs to start with and they didn't really give us anything solid to work on so 
after a while we thought we'd better go see someone that actually knows what they're talking about. Mm. What were the GPs <clears throat> saying to you? Because that's pretty disappointing that they didn't even direct you in the direction of more expert advice. Mm. Yeah, they just told us to um, oh, lose weight or try harder or yeah. nothing really. Take, take <clears throat> elevate different supplements and, yeah, they, they really didn't go into much detail at all. So. And so I guess at that stage you've also got – like you said, nine to 12 months under your belt of getting negative tests. Is that every month you're kind of testing? and Yeah, yep. Yeah, so then I guess we did our own research and found um, Reprimed in Adelaide and that's where we sort of touched base with them and went down and started having all our tests and meetings with them and that's where it all sort of kick-started for us. Oh, we had no idea about anything. We just, yeah. we just assumed it was an easy thing to happen. How many times do you think you went into town to see your GP? <clears throat> before you went down the path of more expert advice? Oh, gosh. I don't think we mucked around too much. We got some quite um, disappointing feedback from the GP, so we decided to take it into our hands and yep. go straight to the professionals. We don't want to muck around and waste time. So, Because that's also a 600K round trip or a whole yeah. day eaten yep. up to, that you have to take off work, yep. go into town, do yes. all that. How far from Adelaide is is the station? Oh. 1,300 guys. Yeah. You obviously run a very – I mean, I know everyone who runs a business is busy, but it's quite seasonal here. It's not like you can just pack up and leave for however many days. You've got cattle mm. that rely on you, staff. So how did you try and factor that in once you are able to make contact with Reprimed and get an appointment to – obviously you'd probably want to get down there the next day if you could. At this stage you've yeah. been waiting and trying so long, but yeah. – You've got other things going on. How did you try and balance that? Yeah, I found it incredibly hard to keep that private from staff and not let them, you know, obviously back then we had a whole crew of males so they probably didn't pick up on it too much. But I did have quite a lot of times where I'd have to drive into Alice Springs three times a week just to be able to get a blood test mm. and a scan on a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday. So I guess um, trying to... Let staff know that, you know, we got things on trying to, yeah, that was quite difficult. That was probably my most challenging yeah. time was not being able to explain to people what I was doing and why I was going to town on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday. That was quite tricky. Um, but no one asked any questions and we just did what we had to do. So you went down to Adelaide uh, for that first trip and what when you sat down with them, I guess, what is the process? You get there, you all you know is, did you have to have any tests before you went down there? Were they like, oh, do these tests and Alice and bring the results with you? Or do you just turn up there and then they just kind of take it from scratch? Yeah, so we did some blood tests in Alice Springs. And then when we had our meeting, um, it was all the information that they needed was there. And then they just walked us through the steps. Um, we had to get our drugs, I guess, um, delivered to the pharmacy in Alice Springs. So they would send it down to Alice Springs. We'd have to go to town to pick it up. So, yeah, there's another six, seven-hour round trip just to be able to collect the drugs. Um, and then once you start taking the medication and um, – yeah, during the cycles, you have to go in and, and have a scan and some blood tests to work out where you are at in your cycle. And, um, yeah. So what did the clinic explain to you was your situation? Because I guess there's a whole range of reasons you would have been having, that you could have been having trouble conceiving. Did they Were they able to give you some clarity and explain 
what it was and, and what the path, the best path was going to be? Yep. Um, yeah, so they discovered that I had polycystic ovaries syndrome, so that was what was stopping me from being able to ovulate and produce eggs and um, being able to fall pregnant. So that was our hurdle, trying to have our family, was that was what was holding us back. So what does that actually do, having – because I've heard of PCOS before, but usually it's just associated with women, I feel like, that maybe have – weight gain and like a bit of a moustache, like some facial hair and there's a few symptoms um, that present like that, but I haven't actually heard about its effect on fertility. Yeah, so your cycles, you might, your monthly periods might come around every three months instead of every 28 days, which means that you're not ovulating. There's no ovulation cycle. So you're not able to be able to fall pregnant because you're just not ovulating at all because your hormones are all out of whack. So that's where um, the medical treatment come in into play. They helped your body stimulate your ovaries to um, be able to and your hormones to be able to do all the right things to help you fall pregnant. Yeah. So when you got down there, they had the results from – your tests in Alice Springs, did they have to do any further tests down there? Um, we did a dye test to make sure that the fallopian tubes were all, all good. So, yeah, we did that one. And How did um, they do that, Can I, if I can ask? Oh, gosh, that was so long ago. That was before Ollie. Um, so they inserted some dye into your uterus and then they can scan to make sure that the black dye is actually going through and coming out both ends to make sure that you're not – your fallopian tubes are not um, blocked up, I guess, by cysts and stuff like okay. that, which is what stops the, the embryos and everything happening. Okay, so they did some – because I was just thinking if they if you'd just gone down there to hear your results and get told what you were needing to do, that's a 2,600K round trip yeah. just to have a conversation. So yeah. at least you had some other diagnostic yeah. tests done there to yeah. – yeah, because that's a big mm. trip. And I guess also, so that's time off work. Um, that's extra expense of staying in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, trying to replace people. Like, I mean, you guys are the bosses. Like, it's not like you can just ask for time off. I mean, yeah. you can because you're the boss, but it's yeah. not like you're doing low-level things. Yeah. Well, at that time we were managing for my father and mother-in-law, so we had that responsibility of having to be here and keep things going. So... Um, we were lucky that we had their support. Um, they knew what we were doing and they were there to help us and they were also down in Kangaroo Island so they'd come across and help us with, um, yeah, all of that side of thing. They were great support so we're really lucky for that. What was going through your head at this time, I guess both of you, like, uh, you know, it's an unexpected place you find yourself in? Um I think back then no one knew much about it. Whereas nowadays everyone seems to know someone that's sort of suffered from these problems. Mm. So we were we're more along the lines of, well, why why is this happening to us? You know, this this doesn't happen to anyone we know. But once we go down that road, you actually discover so many people have it. It's just, yeah, until it happens to you, you don't realise it's an issue, you don't realise it's out there. Yeah. So initially it was was a feeling of why. Yeah. Why is this happening? This Um, doesn't happen to people, but it does. happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Very isolating as well. We, you know, trying to keep it private and just deal with it ourselves. Um, So we didn't really have those support networks um, to help us through it, but, yeah. Did either of you feel 
like it's funny I'm asking this question knowing that the answer like what the answer should be and that like if you say it, I'll be like well you shouldn't have but like did either of you feel I guess responsible for it because that would also be the hard part thinking like is it me is it is it um or were no, you able to kind of it sounds like you're able to kind of go through yeah, it together yeah yeah we went through it together um we just knew that it was something that we had to go through and we were going to do anything we could to be able to make it make it work so um we were quite lucky with Ollie he we fell pregnant the first um round with him um so we thought that it was going to be exactly the same so when he was around 12 months we thought well it's try time to start for another family and um if it was as easy as going back to Adelaide for one or two trips that it would be, um, yeah, quite easy. So we tried for our second child and that took us on an absolute roller coaster ride. Um, yeah, we, we took a good three years to be able to, three and a half years to be able to get her Millie come along and yeah, that was 10 cycles. So six cycles of Clomid we did. And once we got to that six cycles and um, we went down and had an appointment with our doctor and we said, what, you know, why, why is this not happening for us? You know, it was really easy with Ollie and he did explain that most people will fall pregnant within two to three cycles of fertility treatment and it just was not happening for us. And there really wasn't any explanation as to why so they couldn't explain why it was happening it just was happening yeah so that's when we decided to do ivf and did another four cycles of ivf before we um fell pregnant with millie so yeah it was a a bit of a back-to-back every month for quite a long time we'd be doing trips to alice springs and adelaide and um yeah it was it was a bit full on (laughs) was a time You've seen, I guess, the spectrum of fertility treatment. So the first pregnancy was with Clomid. So that's – can you explain, I guess, again, I know you mentioned just before, but what Clomid is and, and how that worked, I guess, once you came back from Adelaide and then you can – you wrote a bit of a – I wouldn't say a funny story, but <laughs> a bit of a – well, a little bit of a funny story about yeah. <laughs> your first trip back. Yeah, so um, we got back from our uh, Adelaide with um, – with our plan of what we were going to do and then we did a trip into Alice Springs, picked up all the um, injections that we needed for that cycle and we got home. Um, you have to take the injections quite – oh, gosh, that was so long ago. I can't even remember how many but there were quite a lot um, just to be able to get things happening in your body and um, getting your body ready, your follicles growing and then um, in a per- certain – time of your cycle you have to go to Alice Springs and get a blood test and a scan to make sure that everything's tracking along well and then they give you a date where you will be most fertile and um, then the rest was up to us so yeah we're very lucky that it happened straight away with Ollie so that was good. And so you mentioned just before Gus that you'd just gone out to stock camp 60k's from the homestead Mm. with all the blokes (laughs) and and why did you have to call and back him? So I got the phone call. So our results had come in and we thought we had a couple of extra days up our belt. So um, it was only a two-day job over our cold side that Angus needed to go and sort the cattle out. So we thought we had a little um, period of time that we could get that job done before he needed to be home. But the results come back in and um, they basically said, it's time, now your body's ready, um, the rest is up to you. So I had to make that awkward phone call. I had to call radio, over the radio. radio. Yeah, so I had to ask the staff to turn their radios off in the other cars so that I could have a quick chat to Angus to tell them that, you know, 
it was time to come home. <laughs> He'd only just left an hour beforehand. Um, yeah, so that was quite awkward, but it was what we had to do to create our family and make it happen. And yeah, we're very lucky that it did happen straight away. <laughs> was that when the cat came out of the bag, the staff that? Well, I don't think at that point. We- no. Were you just like, no. I've broken something at home and I need Gus to come home and fix it? We just didn't explain to them what was going on. We had to keep it quiet. So, um, yeah, I guess they were left wondering, but it wasn't too long after that we could let them know that that was the reason why. <laughs> Once we started being open with some of the staff and said, you know, we're going to Adelaide for this, got to go to Adelaide for that, it made it a lot easier. Yeah. Trying to <clears throat> hide secrets is bloody hard work. Yeah, definitely. What about, I guess, so you told your parents or your, and your mm. parents-in-law, um, <clears throat> you were trying to obviously keep it private from your staff because it is your personal private business. Yeah. Did you have friends though, like other people you could talk to about this or was it really just – on a need-to-know basis, like with the, the parents who you're working for them yeah. and then just each other. Yeah, so both our our parents um, knew what we were doing and then also a really good friend of mine, she was on board with me through the whole stuff, um, yeah, all the steps. So that was, yeah, it was very, very um, confidential. We just wanted to work it out in our own time and, um, yeah, I guess we just didn't want anyone to sort of feel sorry for us that we couldn't have that baby because we were having people around us wondering like we'd been together for so long was it six seven eight years together and we still hadn't had a baby so there were people wondering they've been married for a couple of years what's going on and we just wanted to keep it to ourselves and and navigate it um on our own so yeah we're lucky to have our family support what about you Gus did you have a friend like someone outside of the family that you could kind of talk to about this? Because I think it's very common for women to have a support network and to, you know, we're kind of classed as the oversharers and the emotional ones and the ones that are more likely to seek out support and help and blokes are kind of just internalising. I mean, this is me using the air quotes, but you'll internalise things, be stoic and, you know, just kind of grunt and keep getting on with things. Whereas I think we're trying to reduce that stigma now and encourage more people to reach Yeah, out. I don't think I spoke to anyone about it. I think I'm more Held on to that for a long time. I spoke to one of my good mates right towards the very end of it, telling what we've been going through, but mm. no, for a long time I just kept that to myself. So. Yeah, that must have been pretty hard. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's what blokes do. But if you, I guess, with the hindsight now, if something were to happen again, do you think you would try it differently? Or Oh, definitely. No, we've spoken to so many other couples in the same situation as us now because we realise what we've gone through, other people will go through as well. We can help other people by talking mm. to them about it. So. Yeah. How do you try to think of an eloquent way to ask this, but when you've given him the call to come home, there's a lot of pressure in that situation. You're yes. like, okay, we've been trying for so long. All right, conditions are right. Let's do it now. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, the act itself, like how do you try and keep some romance or some, or not just be so stressed and like, you know, make it a transaction? Like in a way it is a transaction yeah. because you're really wanting an outcome, but yeah. – you don't want it to be like that either. Yeah. Like that's got to be something hard to manage. It and is very, very hard. Um, it does trying for a family when you can't have them naturally. It does consume your life and take over, and that's all you, um, you know, you want. And it does make that really hard. Um, yeah, that that's definitely not a, a fun yeah, period. Definitely of our takes life. your romance out of it. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Like it's very, yeah. No, it's not a fun. Fun part of the journey. 
And so tell me about when you did your pregnancy test for Ollie and that was the first time you ever had a positive result. Yeah, so um, we get a blood test, so we have to go to town to get a blood test and we've got that two-week wait where the doctor will get back to you if the blood tests come back a positive or a negative. Um, And, yeah, I do remember being in Alice Springs um, waiting for that result to come back, but I couldn't help myself and went and um, tested myself and got that news. Yeah, I remember sitting in the car and finding out and, it was, yeah, it was very a, a shock. It's definitely a shock, especially after trying for so many years to, to get that final result. And, um, yeah, Angus was back at the station at that point. I'd just come in on my own. So, yeah, we didn't get to share that moment together. Um, we would have found out separately anyway, but that's what happens when you live so far away. So what happens next then? Do you do, you do a phone call or you just have a really long drive home thinking about how you're going to tell him? I'm pretty sure I can't remember. <laughs> I think you just drove home. I think I drove home. Come in crying and told me so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was so long ago. A lot of it is a blur because it is the emotions that it brings to you is it is an absolute roller coaster going mm. through the emotions, the the hormones that go through your body, the you know, the responsibilities of life of running a station and trying to keep staff happy and um you know the cattle going and everything it was just a lot at the time so i do look back on those periods as a big blur um so yeah it's yeah, hard it was to, overwhelming yeah totally def- overwhelming definitely the biggest challenge that we've had one of the biggest challenges that we've had in our life together so for that first pregnancy it would have been a number of trips to town so to alice springs that's yeah let's say about six seven hundred k round trip and then just one trip to adelaide at that point in time yeah yep one trip yeah i think we worked out it was a five thousand kilometer round trip for alex i do remember back in those days trying to work out um travel allowance um getting help with the the distances that you can do because there's those kind of things that they can help you with um a bit of finance to for travel so yeah that was Ollie was the easy one. Aubrey was, oh, sorry, Millie. Millie was the one that took a lot of time away from the station, a lot of, a lot of kilometers and a lot of trips. And so at what point did you think, all right, we've got number one safely on the ground and in our arms. Let's try for number two. And Mm -hmm. I guess at this stage, you're armed with the knowledge knowing, Mm -hmm. okay, I've got PCOS. I know I don't cycle regularly or correctly or. Yeah. You know, yep. and so I'm going to need this Clomid to kind of give me that boost and, like you said, get things going. So you kind of would have some confidence coming into it, I would think, because you yeah. kind of are armed <clears throat> with that knowledge. Yeah, definitely. We did go into our trying for our second child feeling as if we were going to be lucky again and just have a bit of help from the fertility specialist and that it would happen again. Um, but that was not the case. We, um, we did six rounds of Clomid for Millie and then four rounds of IVF to be able to fall pregnant with her. But on our ninth round, we actually um, got a pregnancy and um, that one didn't last for, yeah, I think around the six-week mark. uh, We were told that it was no longer happening for us and around the nine-week mark we had to um, go in and, um, yeah, have, have to have the things removed and um yeah that was a, a tough tough time but we were very lucky 
um, only three months later, we were, be able, we were able to do our 10th cycle and that was our 10th and last. And we were lucky to fall pregnant with Melly. So we were very, very lucky that, um, she come along so quickly after something that was quite horrific in our journey. Is that something you have to do? I know the Clomid you can do. Is it every single month you would do a treatment or is it kind of every second month because you do a treatment one month and then have to wait and see if you're – or is it – I guess yeah, you're I think we had a, there's a few gaps in between for some mm. various reasons. You couldn't just keep going back to back, I don't think. Yeah, you do get a little bit overstimulated in your ovaries and you have to pull up for a month or two or if we had some cattle work on and we were in a really busy time that we couldn't just drop everything and head down and – make that trip we'd um, have to work around the cattle work and so that was quite tricky just trying to yeah plan time off which was quite a lot in those so this all dragged out over a few years and at that i mean you're young first-time parents so that's a stressful time in your life anyway managing a business living remote and then going through this again and you must have been thinking like yeah what the hell's going on yeah and so how was the clinic in, in helping you go, okay, well, we've tried six rounds of Clomid, now it's time for IVF. Were you aware of uh, that that was the next step or that was an option or that first time around had they kind of just explained what Clomid was to you and then didn't really kind of take you further down that path? Yeah, so they um, were happy for us to continue Clomid, but we were at that point getting burnt out. We wanted this pregnancy so badly that we didn't want to muck around anymore and take the easier steps. We we decided to jump in and have a bit better um, success, I guess, um, a better chance at having a baby, and IVF was that, that um well, how, many that rounds of, how many rounds of Clomid. Clomid did we do? Six with Millie. Six. Yeah. And then, yeah. So Clomid, you can get your drugs delivered to Alice Springs and then it's that 700K round trip to pick them up and do it at home. But then you've still got to go. Was that the same process where you have to go on Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Mm, Was that the Clomid? Oh, that Um, one's for IVF? Yeah, for all of my Oh, and for Clomid. Okay. So it's still a lot of kilometres. How does the IVF work? Do you have to go to Adelaide to have – is it a procedure? Yeah. Um, you, yeah. Did you have to go to Adelaide each of those four times to? Yeah, we did. Um, so obviously you have your eggs collected and then you go down to Adelaide, I guess once the sperm and the, the eggs are joined together. I'm not too sure what that's called. You have your embryos and so they are sitting frozen in Ripamed waiting for you when you are ready to start a cycle. You just let them know. They organise all the drugs that you need and they ship it down to Alice Springs to the pharmacy for us. We would collect them, bring them back to the station, start taking the injections, which was quite a lot, and um, Angus would help me with that part of things. So I do remember at one stage... Um, Angus was away and I had to drive to Fink to be able to get the nurses at Fink to help me with my injections. So, yeah, a two-minute jab turned into a two-hour drive <laughs> trip to be able to get the help for that, but we just did what needed to be done. And, yeah, there's always – you can work around anything these days. So Yeah, and then you'd have your trips to Alice Springs on a Monday – Wednesday and Friday for your scans and then you'd hear back from the doctors as to when you need to be down in Adelaide and you book your flights, you go down and um, the embryo is inserted and then 
you just wait. You have the two-week wait after that. So it is a big, big process. That's um, just thinking. So, yeah, you don't even just have to go to Adelaide for the actual IVF like implantation. You've got to go down for egg collecting, which mm. I've had a few friends go through that, and I know that's quite a process as well Yeah, a lot on your body. Because IVF, you don't need the two of you there. Were you going to Adelaide on your own? So I'd go – I think I did one egg collection on my own. And then the second one, Angus was there with me once we realised how full on it, it really is. And then every um, time we'd go down for the um, embryo transplant, Angus would be there with me. He was the one that helped me with my injections. And, um, yeah, there was lots of, like, 2 o'clock rises to be able to set your alarm to be able to have this certain injection at a certain time. And, um, yeah, it really does. It consumes your life. Mm. It's full on but um we were talking to one of the nurses down at Riffermed and she was saying how many people complain how busy it is when they're living in Adelaide and they're like 10 minutes from the clinic and they're complaining about time off work and driving in and out we've mm. done 47,000 goes oh, back and forth 37,000 yeah, 30. goes and yeah was that just for Millie or was that for all the kids that was just for Millie yeah 37,000 kilometers yeah just medical um fertility treatment traveling mm. How many laps around Australia could you do with that, I wonder? (laughs) It was a lot and it does take up your life. It really does amongst trying to, you know, do other things. It's It really does consume a lot of your time and effort and emotions. Because this was your second pregnancy or attempt at at falling pregnant, were you more open with people outside of your, I guess, your immediate, like your family um, this time? Did you have some friends to lean on now that you've been through it again or was it still kind of a closed yeah. private kind of yeah um so second time around I did have a few more friends that I spoke to because it was such a long journey and they were picking up the signs as as to why I'm doing all these trips in and out of town and what's going on and you know obviously I needed that support and I had some beautiful friends that helped me through that part it wasn't until the end um years into trying for Millie that we it's our very last cycle that we decided okay we we need to give up and just tell our staff they're all wondering what we're doing and it was a crazy amount of time that I would be heading away um and doing day trips into Alice Springs three times a week it just I couldn't explain to them you know there's only so many times you can say that you know, you're going in to visit the accountant or you've got to go to the bank and you've got Forgot to pick the up. apples at Woolies. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, after a couple of years, people were starting to question what we were doing and although we wanted to keep it personal and private, it was something that we had to just explain and thankfully we didn't go through it for too long but they were such a good support network um, when we were trying for Millie. We were lucky to have such a good crew of staff around us at that time. And then so you, you got Millie yeah. after after a horrible loss, but you were, like you said, not long after yeah. you had Millie. How is it, I guess, for both of the pregnancies so far when it's so hard? Well, I guess perhaps, I know, I guess I would still class it as hard to get pregnant with Ollie because of all the times, all the time he spent mm-hmm. trying, but luckily it was that first Clomid cycle, as you said. But when it's so hard to fall pregnant and then you finally do, do you just want to wrap yourself in yes. bubble wrap and are you just terrified to? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the days I remember um, when we were having our 
transfers um, of the embryo, I would not sit on a motorbike, which I would spend, you know, I spent, oh, gosh, a decade sitting on a motorbike every muster out there and then all of a sudden I had to stop doing what I love to be able to um, make sure that I didn't put myself in any harm. So um, definitely you do become very cautious being in the cattle yards. I would always put myself in a yard where there weren't any cattle um, that could I could come in close contact with and you do become very fearful of losing that pregnancy. So, I yeah, I definitely did protect myself from any silly situations that could have come up. And what about pregnancy number three? How yeah. did you – so you've had one, I guess, easier pregnancy or faster pregnancy, yeah. one much longer, harder road. Yeah. And how did number three work out? The doctors told us that we were never better have a, a kid without, you know, some serious help again from the doctors. So we, we'd almost well, given up after we had medical. That's it. That's a, that's a hand we've been dealt. We'll be happy with two. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bang. Yeah, all we, um, all we come along. I was ten and a half weeks pregnant when I found out I was pregnant with Aubrey because I guess I was in a mindset that I couldn't fall pregnant naturally without some sort of help. So all the side effects and symptoms and stuff, which I didn't really get too much um, with all my pregnancies, um, I yeah didn't pick up the signs and we. I do remember having a conversation with Angus saying I need to go and have a, an appointment with my GP because my monthly cycles are all out of whack. It's been three months and I haven't had um, my monthlies come in, so I need to, you know, try and work out how to stable my hormones and um, sort them out. So Angus said to me, well, before you go to the GP, maybe you do a pregnancy test. I'm like, oh, what would we need to do that for? Because we can't have babies naturally. So anyway, I remember sitting at the computer with this test, sitting at the computer doing my book work, waiting for it to be a negative so I could call the GP and go, you know, can I please book an appointment um, to work things out? And it come up as a positive and I could not believe <laughs> what I was seeing. And I remember running up to the shed and grabbing Gus and showing him and um, he said, no, we're going to have to do another one because tests do, you know, might not be quite accurate. So we did another two when they come back positive and I still we still couldn't really process properly what had happened so I rang um, Fink our local clinic and said I need to come in and um, this is what's happening to us and I don't think there's a baby there that maybe might be a sack it's happened before something's growing in yeah and I just need to you know come in and have a blood test or check it out or whatever so I remember driving in to Fink um, a few days after that, just expecting not to find a pregnancy at all, but more as to questions as to why I've got this positive because I mentally could not process having a child naturally without some sort of treatment. And um, we were really lucky there was a midwife that was visiting the clinic at the time and she had a scanner and so she said, well, let's just have a quick look. And um, I remember she found a sack and I'm like oh you know there might not be anything in there and you know we've got to sort this out and she found a heartbeat and if I had an inkling that we could fall pregnant naturally I would have had Angus there so I had that moment of our third child <laughs> all alone um, with 
an amazing midwife that I still see now in Alice Springs and we have that special moment together of, holy moly, there there is a baby there and we are having number three on the way. <laughs> look, you look like you're about to cry. I've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Gus, come on, get glassy-eyed. Kick your missions if I need to. Sorry, pinch myself. Yeah, I can't is. believe, like, yeah. I only hear stories of people having a few IVF babies and then yeah. falling, like, how incredible. It was very lucky. We were very lucky because yeah, we always. There was a one in a thousand bloody chance, yeah. that one. Yeah. Almost saying all that work with the, like, all the particularly treatment must have set your body up maybe mm. after, Just after two. Rebooted one, it yeah. maybe yeah. and. But I guess also once, how long after Millie? So how old was Millie at the time? So they're twenty one months apart. Okay. Um, so I mean, so it'd been a while since you'd had the drugs and, and yeah. whatnot in your system. Yeah. Um, and when you got told by the doctor, like you can't have a child naturally, yeah. I guess hopefully does that take the pressure off when you are it being intimate does. because you're not yeah. like oh yes. we're trying to make a baby. Yes. You're just you're doing it for plain old, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, that's you, definitely the right. Yeah. We, we'd, we'd, we'd forgotten about it. No, we, that's it. We've got, got our family. We were grateful. The pressure was gone. It was just, yeah. yeah. Thankful that we had, mm. you know, we had our two kids. So we were set for life with two little kids and that was our future. And we didn't expect um, this little lady to come along, but very grateful. We always wanted a big family, but we were very grateful for two. Um, but yeah, Aubrey's just. The wild child come along. Yeah. <laughs> At least she's the, the low-cost one, I guess. Yeah. Although knowing Aubrey, as I do, as a three-year-old, I feel like she'll probably be the most expensive one in, yeah, in I, I don't so. know, how much you'll have to bail her out of jail or whatever else, like lawyer fees. She's only three, but I'm sure I, yes. I can see him being wrapped yeah. up yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's come in with a, yeah, with a lot of energy into this Definitely. world. So, so all up, so, so, um, Ollie was a 5,000-kilometre baby, Millie 37,000 kilometres. I don't even want to ask the price as well because I don't even know ballpark what IVF costs, but I know I've heard of people spending like well into six figures trying to get a baby. Yeah. Like I'm so glad the last one was kind of free in a way. (laughs) Very lucky. Yeah. No, it's definitely an expensive journey to go down and the fuel, um, the travel, the time, your time away from work, it costs a lot of money and um, it's definitely something that was a big part of our life for so many years but we're glad to sort of put that behind us now. And um, well, Even Aubrey was hard work because when she came along it was about a week before after the settlement of Hodge Cow so mm. we just put a brand new station had a baby rock up at the same time so that was a... A crazy, stressful time and drought, a little bit shocking drought. So yeah. even that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there are challenges all through life, isn't there? Mm. But um, I guess doing going through these kind of challenges only make you stronger as a couple and if you can get through those hard times, I think you, you'll be right. I think that's the thing, though. It'll either make you or break you. Yeah. I'm just really glad, I guess, it, it made you mm. stronger yeah. together because I – I guess for a lot of people, it's it can be the final straw or yes. the or the start, yes. you know, the start of pulling that thread that just yep. kind of unravels. I think it was in 2019 you wrote a story for Central Station for our website when we used to publish stories, and you wrote about your IVF mm. and infertility journey. Um, and I know not long after that, you were approached by Landline to do a segment. That story you wrote for us was that the first time you'd kind of shared that publicly yes. and because I was was Millie and uh, not Millie was 
um, Aubrey even around then? Yeah, 2019. So, yeah, we had our – we were pregnant with Aubrey when that had come through. So, um, yeah, I that was the first time that I'd ever opened up about it. And the amount of people that reached out to me after that, that I could talk to, help them go through their journeys as well and – the questions that these people that were also in similar situations living remote, it was just lovely to be able to have a few few people that I could help when they were going through their cycles and their stimulation periods of um, trying to have their babies and stuff like that. that I found that just incredible because beforehand it was just us going through it and um, we didn't really have that support network. I guess social media has come such a long way with making these big, problems in people's lives spoken so easily yeah it's definitely made a big thing but yeah your story was when I did the story with you that was the first time that I'd spoken about our journey what made you want to share that story I know what it was like living remote and and it being so private and not having that network around you it was definitely very isolating not having that support that I would have loved to be able to talk to other people that were going through the exact same thing at the same time. But at that point in life, it wasn't really a a hot topic on social media. So I just thought, well, you know what, this is a big thing that's happened to us. And if it can help somebody else um, not feel so alone, living isolated, doing fertility treatment, well, then I hope if that speaks to someone, well, then my job is done. I think that's the beauty and the real privilege of the website and now the podcast is having people share these stories because, as you said, people reach out. Um, We've had another podcast on infertility, but, again, uh, the other person who was featured on your landline episode, Rainy, um, but her their their issues were different to yours, Mm. but still that same – it's that same common shared struggle of trying to start a family. I know there's been um, some articles recently in the Grazier magazine and couples had – um, different again, different issues. But the yeah. more you talk about it, and and especially, I'm that's why I'm quite happy that we can have Gus on this episode as well. Because often it's still I feel like the bulk of the conversation is women to women. Yeah, and it's it's just something that we talk. If we do yeah. talk about it, it's between us. Yeah, and to get men in because it affects both of you. Oh yeah, like it's it's two things, and I think as as it becomes less stigmatised and same with mental health and everything else, it's just so important to have everyone yeah. to be inclusive and everyone's impacted. Yeah. Um, so I guess to finish up, I'd like to ask what advice perhaps you may have for, for people listening that either people may be going through infertility, they may not, it may come in the future, they may know somebody, they may suspect yeah. somebody who is, yeah. like how... Yeah. Yeah. I guess um, for anyone that's going through it, especially living out bush or remote, quite remote, just having a network around you, someone you can ring up and let them know where you're at and what you're doing. And in return, those good friends will be calling you and saying, How did you go with, you know, this part of your journey? And, um, you know, is today the day that you have your transfer? And just having that little support network. Um, cheering you on and help giving you positive um, encouragement to keep going. And It's I've, a heavy burden to bear by yourself. It and is. You want to share the load with your friends yeah. and family. And yeah. So, it's, yeah, I guess particularly, Gus, if you could speak to any blokes listening, what would you say to them? 
No, don't be afraid to talk to your mates about it. You might be surprised who else has been through it. Mm. All right. And for my final question, which you guys would both know, being avid listeners, uh, looking back on your story so far, which I know you've said it's it's so long ago and it's a bit of a distant memory, but really Ollie's only eight, eight so yeah. not, not that long ago. Aubrey's three, yeah. going on 30. Um, <laughs> what would you say for this particular story is the major takeaway lesson? Well, I think for me, be open. Don't, like I said, don't try and carry that burden by yourself. Mm. If you find out you need help, speak to someone. Yeah. Um, I guess just don't give up if you really want to. And you won't give up. You'll just do anything you can to make, make, um, make your family, create your family. Um, just, just keep going. And, um, there's going to be a lot of challenges in front and hard roads that you'll, um, come across but yeah you just got to keep riding the waves I guess and whatever comes your way you just got to get through it and keep going and um yeah just don't give up because once you have your family that's that's what life is about